It's game time to smell what we're cooking on the next installment of TDT's Classic Series on the Double Turn Podcast, which starts right now. You've been on fire. It's my time! It's my time! It's my time! Do you oh, smell man. what the this rock was, is this cooking? This was quite the episode to really uh, sink our teeth into, as I'm sure I talked over Jorge in the in the opening part of this. It's a, the next installment of the Double Turn Podcast, Boss Ross and the J-Man. Boy, do we have an exciting episode. We're going to jump right into it. We don't really have any news this week, so I'm just going to say... Strap in because, uh, well, this is this is the point of time where, as a wrestling fan, it was really cool to be a wrestling fan, and we just enjoyed the hell out of watching these three matches that we're about to talk to talk to you about. I should say. Before we get started in our next installments, J Man, how are you, sir? You know, Ross, I am here. I am well. We're recording. It's good to see your beautiful face. Yes. Ho- now, now well. it's now it's two weeks without shaving. That's you know one of us got a haircut, um, but yeah, I'm surviving. I'm surviving in this in this world where uh, you know we all, thank, are. we are we we all are, and uh, thankfully we don't have any beaches where people can go ahead and mob over to right now, and uh, yeah. Well, that being said, uh, there are lots of changes coming this week in the world and in the next couple of weeks, pretty much across the country. For sure, across the country. uh, How the slow changes are implemented. Of course, there have been rampant rumors about different sports coming back within the next couple of months. Of course, wrestling's been deemed essential services. They're still going. Of course, WWE and AEW. Actually, Impact. Impact, yeah, yeah, yeah. They have been. Uh, Good for Impact. I Which, uh, if we if we were talking about impact on this show, I would tell you that there's a very weird storyline going on, but I'm not going to get into it because they claim that there's two different world champions right now. Which, whatever, that's not this show. That's not why we're here. We are here for the next installment of TDT's Classics series, in which we basically talk about a series of matches or a feud, in which we review. Right now, we've been sticking to three matches. Although I will tell you right now, there are at least going to be one or two of these. And I say one or two because we've had a few ideas that have been jumbling around in which I don't know if there's a possibility we can't do four because it's just going to be that hard because some of them are just going to be that hard to pick from. True that. That being said, this show, actually, let's do our cheap plug here to start before we delve into the topic of this week, which is you can find this fine show and all of our fine shows, including this is now our third episode of TDT's classic series. You can find the first two and every other episode. This is episode 105, correct? Yes. Okay. So this episode and the other 104 episodes you can find on many different platforms. You can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Stitcher, Radio Public, CastBox, Pocket Casts, Anchor. That's correct, sir. And yeah, you know, you know what the funny thing is about our podcast um you know, we, we're, we're, one, we're one of many who likes to go ahead and talk about the current events that are happening within that week that we're recording that show and whatnot. So you might think to yourself, oh, I don't want to go back a year and a half and, you know, discuss things that were happening a year and a half ago. I kind of want to keep it in real time or at least talk about real topics. But that being said, that being said, there's some gold in some of those episodes, let me tell you, okay? You can always go back to see what we thought of the year 2018. You can go back to last January and think, talk about what we discussed and what we thought about 2019. 
you can go ahead and take a look at our AJ Styles John Cena TDT Classic Series Part 1. You can see what we thought about the ladder matches last week in Part 2. You can go ahead and see a bunch of cool top fives that we've done throughout the years. There's a lot of stuff. You can hear Ross be disrespectful to me. You can hear me go off on people, including Ross himself. You can hear Ross hate on Becky Lynch and Kofi Kingston. There's so many, there's so many things that you can do, you know. Oh, and by the way, you can also go back and see and hear how Ross has been on the Baron Corbin and Drew McIntyre train since the very, very beginning. Okay, don't, 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 don't hate on the Rossinator, on the Rastafarian. And be like, oh, Ross is only a fan of those guys because, well, he just jumped on the bandwagon. He's been a dick rider. No, no. Ross helped those men become made men. That's right. Aaron, That's right. Best heel in WWE. Mark it down. Mark it down. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's definitely top five. He is definitely top well, five. I mean, right now. I'm not saying ever. I'm saying No, right no, no. Now. I know. I'm well aware. Is, I'm just saying is, top five is, right now. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was going to say he is the best heel in WWE right now. Like, I don't even know if that's arguable. I'm sure it could be argued, but I don't think it is. By the I way, mean, you can yeah. also find our social media podcast, our social media places. It is the Double Turn Podcast on Instagram, the one and only JMan19, Ross the Real Boss 85. Those are our Instagram accounts. You can also find me on Twitter, Boss Ross TDT. Pretty much strictly checking in with the live tweeting on pay per views, which, by the way, a little cheap plug for ourselves. Next week's show is our Money in the Bank 2020 preview and prediction show, which as far as I know, is taking place from WWE headquarters in Stanford, Connecticut. This is accurate. This is all accurate. So we'll get into Money in the Bank 2020 next week when we do our preview and prediction show. If you want to take a listen to last week's episode where we took a look at the best Money in the Bank matches of all time that we did, that was last episode. So check that out. And, of course, AJ and Cena from 2016 and 2017. That's the first of the TDT's classic series. This week, we delved right into probably the greatest time to be a wrestling fan, the Attitude Era into that little tiny era between the end of the Attitude Era and what would be commonly known as the Ruthless Aggression Era. Well, we it, remember the year 2000, it was still smack dab in the middle of the Attitude Era. So it's all Attitude Era that we're talking about. I understand about. that. Yeah. I'm just talking about the time frame between uh, 98 yes. and what? About 03? Or, or when's when would you say the Ruthless Aggression Era officially started? I would tell you that the Ruthless Aggression Era probably started the night after WrestleMania 18. Um... And then that that time frame of when WWF bought WCW. So, like, I, I look at it this way. So, like, the Attitude Era started, like, late 96, early 97, went all the way until the week before WrestleMania 2001. And then WrestleMania 17 to WrestleMania 18, I like to consider as the Invasion Era, as most people do. And then the night after WrestleMania 18, up until the year 2000 and. Eight, I would consider the Ruthless Aggression Era, with the Ruthless Aggression Era really taking place, like, 0205 would be the peak of the Ruthless Aggression Era. So, n- not to get into a huge debate, but I will tell you that uh, I see the Attitude Era as Hogan turning heel in 96, that would be July. I realize that's I realize WWE is the Attitude Era, but that kind of sparked WWE counter-programming in a way. Yes. So, I'll say Bash at the Beach, 96 is when it really started. 
And then for me, the Attitude Era died when Stone Cold Steve Austin teamed up with Vince McMahon. Right. So that was WrestleMania 17. I, I, I consider it the the week before WrestleMania just because they bought WCW on that. Like they, they made the announcement of buying WCW that Monday night. Totally fair. Yeah. I just, and, and it, it was so, simultaneous. So, 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 yeah. So it's basically a very similar time frame. That is correct. I just used yes. that to reference because yeah. I was a fan of both products, as a lot of us were, mm-hmm. flipping back and forth. Absolutely. That was when we had Monday Night Wars. Yes. So what we decided to do is we decided, okay, we have Triple H and his 25th anniversary celebration thing that they did on SmackDown. Which and they've been doing all week this week. I don't really want to get into all the stuff they did with he and Michaels and that show in general. Uh, I, I, I don't really know what their plan was. Um, again, really don't need to get into that, but they did that. And then uh, was it the Rock's birthday last week? No, uh, Rock's birthday is tomorrow, Saturday. Tomorrow. So we're recording okay, this gotcha. Friday. It's May 2nd. He'll be turning 48. That's crazy. He does not look 48 at all, which is a credit to uh, his physical conditioning as well as the fact that he has transitioned from, of course, being a pro wrestler Uh into being like the most popular man in Hollywood. This is true. And by the way, not not to... You know, take away anything from Triple H because Triple H, I think, is like two years or two and a half years older than he is. There's just a huge difference. Like, for example, you know, um, Triple H has this beard that's got a lot of white hairs in it and it makes him seem like he's as old as he is. But I'm sure that if Triple H shaved off the beard or maybe trimmed it down, um, you know, he he would look uh, probably a little bit younger than what he actually is. And, you know, with the short hair, he's you know, gone the bald look and whatnot, but I'm sure that if he had the the long flowing locks of uh, of 2012, you know, he 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 would he would be looking a lot different than he does right now. So we decided, hey, let's take a look at one of the more storied rivalries mm-hmm. that uh, would, of course, take place in the World Wrestling Federation. Of course, this was before. They changed to World Wrestling Entertainment. Right, they got the uh, F and out. that route. Yeah. So, um, but essentially, the three matches that we picked for the Rock Triple H rivalry, which, by the way, um, the year 2000 was a very pivotal year for both guys. Stone Cold Steve Austin was essentially on the shelf. And those two, pr- I mean, I, I understand there were other players. I fully understand that. I am not saying what I'm about to say is not meant to be blasphemous. It's basically meant to be the truth. These two guys and that rivalry and that feud carried the company on its back for the majority of 2000. Correct. It just did. It just did because guess what? It had to because they didn't have a choice. Now, there are arguments to be made for that and against that, but that's the reality. And so we had to pick a match from 2000. And we were very tempted to pick two matches from 2000. So before, actually, I'm going to list the three matches, then I'll tell you the match we didn't put in here, just to just full disclosure. The three matches we picked were the 98, the 1998 SummerSlam ladder match for the Intercontinental title. Then we picked the first ever main event of SmackDown on UPN, between Triple H and The Rock after Triple H had won the title from Mick Foley. So this was The Rock and Triple H for the WWF title on SmackDown with Shawn Michaels as the special guest referee. 
And then we picked the Backlash main event from 2000. We left off the Judgment Day Iron Man match, which is probably pretty high up on a lot of people's lists for best match between Triple H and The Rock. And it's not that the J-Man and I disagree with the fact that it's a great match. It is one of the better Iron Man matches. However, and I'll let the J-Man also expand on this, we both have a very love-hate relationship with that match because as much as we appreciate it for what it is in the feud and the fact that it is one of the better Iron Man matches, the finish of it kind of tarnishes the rest of the match. Uh, that was also the night that The Undertaker came back and did his whole, ah, am, American badass, like that whole thing. Um, Shawn Michaels basically gave The Rock a disqualification. That gave the match to Triple H. And it was more about transitioning from Rock Triple H to Undertaker inserting himself in the middle of this feud with the corporate, or not the corporate, but essentially the McMahon-Helmsley faction, and it just changed the whole dynamic. It's a good match. You should go back and watch it if you have the time. For an Iron Man match, it's great, but as a match for this purpose, we left it off. We decided on the three matches we decided on. It was just easier that way, so go ahead and expand on why we did not choose Judgment Day 2000. Well, honestly, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, you know, Vince the Booker, not Vince McMahon the heel character, but Vince and the production team just thought that the end of Judgment Day, the return of The Undertaker was more important than the finish of The Rock versus Triple H, which, as much as we love the comeback of The Undertaker during that time frame, I think he'd been gone for about seven or eight months. Um, that was the wrong call. You don't have The Undertaker come back in the rematch, basically what was looking to be the potential blow-off to their feud at this time. You just don't. Um, you'd already had, you know, this ginormous moment of The Rock winning the title at Backlash four weeks prior, after you'd already done the screw-over of the year with Triple H returning at WrestleMania 2000, and, um, you decided to insert, uh, you know, The Undertaker into this. Had it been that The Undertaker comes back and assists The Rock in retaining the title and The Rock keeps the title, that's fine with me. But because it took away from everything and they did this whole, oh, because The Undertaker attacked Triple H in the match, you know, that causes a disqualification on The Rock's end, which gives the lead to the to Triple H and then gives him the overall victory in this Iron Man match. You know, it, it really, it put storyline, it, it mixed up the storylines in a way that ruined the 59 minutes prior to all of that. It, this is the perfect example. It, it, uh, and, I, and, I'm, and I'll let you speak after this, Ross. It's exactly the reason why most people hate the 2019 Money in the Bank match. You always say it. You have a three-course meal or a four-course meal, and then you get turd at the end. The turd in this case was Undertaker tombstoning Triple H and then Shawn Michaels disqualifying The Rock. It's, you know, th th that oh. happening is Brock Lesnar throwing Mustafa Ali off the top of the ladder last, last year in Hartford. So, 
before that moment happened in the Judgment Day 2000 match, I believe every member of the McMahon-Helmsley faction was trying to screw over The Rock. That is correct. Which was like seven people. Yeah. And there was Vinny, no disqualification. But then Shano. The Undertaker shows up and that's a disqualification. So, I mean, that again, storyline, whatever. Yeah. Also, they could have done a finish where The Rock wins. Uh-huh. And then the next night on Monday Night Raw or Raw is War or whatever it was called... They could have had Triple H say he got screwed because, of course, he's the heel and he's got Vince McMahon in his back pocket. Right. So they have a rematch where it's like no disqualification or false count anywhere or something. Then The Undertaker comes out and screws Triple H, and that's how you get to that. That's correct. That I would have even been, been fine with. I would have been even fine with Triple H flat out pinning The Rock after everybody gangs up on him one more time. Like I feel like that would have been more of a storyline thing of like that makes sense that's continuity like six dudes te- you know they they all teamed up and beat down on the rock that makes sense to right. have the rock lose so it was a little bit too convoluted as crazy as it might sound in the world of professional wrestling you know we talk about like things keeping it simplistic let's not get too complicated on things and uh shockingly enough this is one of those things that's the reason why we left off Judgment Day, and then the other match that we left off was obviously WrestleMania 2000's Fatal 4-Way Elimination match, because as good as the last 10 minutes of that match are, which are fantastic, because of course it's The Rock and Triple H, they have chemistry to spare, but uh, it a couple of reasons. One, Big Show being in that match, I could understand why he was... In it, Mick and Foley that's, coming back, and after then Mick being Foley being retired in it. one yeah. month later, that's or I should say it, one month earlier. Right, that it, it, that's kind of lame. Right, yeah. and, that, and that's kind of lame. And to be honest with you, it's just it's it's not a one on one Rock versus Triple H match, and we are doing our best to try and talk about a feud per se, as opposed to a feud mixed in with other people. We might do that later on down the road, but for now, Rock Triple H, it's it's a lot. In itself, So that's the reason why we kept Judgment Day and WrestleMania 2000 off the list. So what we decided to do, as Ross has stated on a couple different times today, is uh, SummerSlam 98, um, the main event of SmackDown in 99, and Backlash 2000. Let's jump into it here. You mentioned something about a feud and matches being more simplistic. I have to tell you, the first match on this list might be one of the more simplistic ladder matches I've ever seen in my life. And that is not a knock against it. It was the SummerSlam 98 Intercontinental Ladder Match, or I should say Ladder Match for the Intercontinental title between Triple H coming out to his weird DX music with a live band and China in a very lime green, bright lime green outfit looking as China as can ever be. With The Rock coming out to his catchphrase-laden, oh, you smell what The Rock is cooking, which, by the way, I marked out for because that theme I have not heard in forever. And yes, he was led to the ring by the world's strongest man, Mark Henry. We'll get to Mark Henry in a second because a couple of things stand out from this match, apart from the fact that it's a really good ladder match with two really talented guys. So as we dive into this, one thing I have to point out right off the top, because there are some people that are going to watch this match and go, well, that ladder match wasn't that special. Let me tell you something. Unless I missed a ladder, they used two ladders 
the entire match. In fact, they used one ladder for about 90% of the match. That's correct. And then they only used, that I counted, two chairs. Which is fine because even though it's not a TLC match, a ladder match inherently is... There's no disqualification. Exactly. Yes. So, that's the first thing. Because nowadays, ladder matches, there's like... 10 ladders at ringside, there's ladders everywhere. They put it up and they make you feel as if like 20,000 ladders are going to be used for 50,000 spots because we as wrestling fans have been trained, oh, the bigger the better, the harder the fall, you know, more ladders, more spots, more excitement, which if you use the Vince Russo way of booking, then, you know, you use use 10 ladders in the match. The next ladder match, you have to use 50. Right. And so there's the escalation factor, and maybe that's why some people haven't been able to enjoy ladder matches as much, because a lot of them are all the same. And Everything's been done. Why, yes, which, by the way, that's okay, because you can still be creative in this environment, even though everything has been done. And so that was one thing I really loved about this was I saw the ladder on the floor, I saw both men walk to the ring. There was not a ladder, you know, just propped up, you know, ready to go. There was one in the aisleway. They both walked past it. They both were like, oh, here's the ladder. And then immediately they go into a match and it was slow paced. So go ahead, jump in. I just wanted to point out the fact that I myself thought it was very nice to see one ladder for 90% of the match. And by the way, they were lucky. A, it didn't break. And B, they were able to use it for every spot they needed to use it for. This is true. This is true. Um, I was going to say, uh, you know, that that's partly why I have such a love love relationship with last year's Money in the Bank ladder match was because it they did everything that we've ever seen, but there was a lot more wanting to go ahead and raise the bar type of factor and that's what made last year's with the exception of the ending so creative and so good again i rewatched it last week for craps and giggles and i was like oh yeah no that is the best ladder match i've ever seen in my entire life but we're talking about this and there's a lot of things that i loved about this match i i'm trying to think of what i hated and i'm gonna be honest with you Maybe the reaction of New York City at the very beginning of the match, at the very beginning, right? And I think maybe um, the DX band kind of got them out of. Uh, they kind of put got put into a funk because one thing is so the DX band, as Ross stated, uh, they gave live the they they played the live DX song for Triple H in China when they came out. Um, that's the first thing. Second of all. Um, there were for whatever reason their sound check was not on point and it kind of it really fell flat um and i think that maybe the crowd in new york city and by the way i love i love the garden i love the garden and i'd love to go one day i um, forgot to mention that the SummerSlam 98 was at madison square garden uh, in new york it is the most famous arena for a reason and by the way any event that takes place there is special inherently just feels special because it's in that building and by the way you know, they have Knicks games all the time and Rangers games all the time and a bunch of other things that happen there all the time. The biggest tournament? You, yes. I'm, I'm telling you, go there once. You'll know why it's special. It's so dope. It's Anyways, so thank you for, for, for bringing that up. Um, so I, the crowd, I was not appreciative of how the crowd was not being receptive to Triple H and The Rock um, mm-hmm. at the beginning. 
that said, as soon as the match got going, they were like, oh, the DX band is gone. Now we get to see two of the big, uh, two of the best up and comers in the history of up and coming ever in Triple H and The Rock. Now, I'm watching the beginning of this match. First of all, young Mike Kyoto, shout out to Mike Kyoto, um, is roughing this match. Um, and by the way, second of all, you know what I really loved about this match, Ross? It was treated importantly. How many well, it was times? Also the semi-main, it was right? the semi main. Exact. Thank you. You took the words right out of my mouth. They 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 made this match the semi main event. What that meant was the when the Intercontinental Championship was at its peak back in the day, not peak Miz, because obviously I think the Miz did something to it that really gave it some gravitas. Uh, once again, for the first time and since like Randy Orton and Edge were colliding over it back in like 2004, 2005, uh, 2004, excuse me, 2004, not 2005. That's not the point. Um, the Intercontinental Championship, when you won it, that meant usually you were the next guy coming up to the main event slot. You know what I'm saying? That's what it meant. It meant that whoever was carrying that title was... Uh, good in not only Vince's eyes but the 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 fans eyes so when you had Triple H and The Rock feuding over this title um you knew that it was big time right you know Owen Hart had already won the championship even though even though he never got a chance at the gold but he was a number one contendership and a main eventer for a while Bret Hart was like synonymous with the Intercontinental Championship Razor Ramon Shawn Michaels Stone Cold Steve Austin himself um, a lot of these guys who became Chris Jericho, Chris Benoit, Kurt Angle. Right. I could go on and on. I'm sorry, but I just want to, I want to explain the importance of the IC title so people know what we're talking about and why. To me, this match was placed exactly in the correct spot where it needed to be, and this was during the time that NXT has brought back an AEW. I'll give them credit for this. That they are you. You've talked about this multiple times. Is Pacing the show correctly. I hate personally when you have to have a dead spot match to calm the crowd down so that way they get re-riled up for the main event. If I'm a wrestling fan, and and I, I, I'm, I'm being a hypocrite right now because I know Ross is about to call me out for getting super marked out at the Royal Rumble last year in Phoenix because Becky Lynch won the Royal Rumble and then I was completely out of it for AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan. And that's on me and that's on the rest of Phoenix and I'll fully take that criticism to heart because it's the truth. But logically speaking from a wrestling standpoint, I loved it that... Each important storyline kept on coming up and coming up and coming up to the point that it was Rock and Triple H for the IC title, and then the main event was the WWF title match between Undertaker and Stone Cold Steve Austin. So that so, meant... Yeah, go ahead. So basically what I'll tell you is, um, as a whole, I'll tell you why the Garden fans were kind of down at this point. Most of the previous matches on this card were trash. sucked. Yes, I this mean, pay-per-view did honest, suck. If you're, if you're telling me the best match on this card was the Shamrock Owen Hart Lions Den match at the, at that moment yes yeah that's what i'm saying mm -hmm. up until the last two matches you're telling me that's the best match on the card no wonder the garden fans were bored this is true this is very so, true so as we get into this match uh essentially what i'll tell you is this i say this a lot of times that less is more that is the epitome of this match for sure because as i said there were two ladders used throughout this entire match. Even though there were two people at ringside, 
I believe there were only one or two instances of outside interference, and one of them basically played directly into the finish. That is correct. Well, actually, which, technically, really two in a way. Well, here's the thing. China got involved. Mark Henry pretty much didn't. I mean, he did, but not really. Right. Like, I mean, the, the spot with the, the powder to the eyes really didn't play into that much of the finish. The low blow from China completely did. Yes. And so when you have two guys that know how to tell a story, mm-hmm. like The Rock and Triple H do, and un- and unfortunately, and uh, perhaps this is, well, Ross, you're approaching your mid-30s and you're antiquated when it comes to your wrestling thinking. To me... I'm not big into, you know... Spot monkeys. What's Just a, say it. What's, what's a very polite way to say this? I don't need a million and one moves in every match with 27 near falls. I was, I need if they're telling a story, I'm okay with it. Yeah, but unfortunately, most matches that have a million moves don't have a story. True. Most of them don't. It's true. So, when you tell me that I get two guys that can tell a story in... I don't know if ladder matches had really been done that much up until this point. No, no, there hadn't been. I'm so glad you brought that up because in the broadcast, Jim Ross said, you know, folks, if if you're not familiar with the ladder match, the fact that he had to familiarize the crowd and the people who were watching on TV what a ladder match was spoke volumes. They're really there. I think there may have been like less than 10 ladder matches in the history of the world wrestling federation up until that point. The one that he only brought up was the IC title match that happened to, that happened to take place just a few years back at the garden between Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon. Uh, still one of the better ladder matches. Fight me. No, Um, no, you're right. You're right. So essentially, Oh, and let's, let's not, let's not put this off. Okay. Um, Jim Ross and Mike and, and uh, Lawler calling this match Perfect. phenomenal. Yeah, perfection, perfection, absolutely phenomenal. If you, if again, I know I give Michael Cole a lot of crap on this podcast. He's not my favorite. I know that some people love him, and there are other announcers out there that that people love and hate. Um, this is prime Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler in the World Wrestling Federation. You want to see a balanced, good reporting doesn't take you out of the match. Straight laced while also being comedic, while also being super memorable, while not taking away from the match. That's JR and the King. That's why they stayed a team for years in the World Wrestling Federation, even into when they switched over to WWE. Um, The other thing that I do want to take away from this match is that I said that less is more. And what I mean by that is, you build up to moments. Now, I understand if you watch this match, you're going to go, why are Triple H and Rock walking up the ladder so slow? Okay, first of all, they're selling, which is also a lost art in wrestling. Oh, let's take a power bomb and be up 10 seconds later. No, these guys have beaten the hell out of each other for 20 minutes. They're trying to climb a ladder. Nobody has really done a lot of these things, so they're kind of weary about it. Yeah. Mike Kyoto took three hours hanging the belt, for goodness sakes. And so... When you look at the slow, methodic, great pacing, I'm big on pacing. I know for those of you that have listened to this show, I'm big on pacing, I'm big on psychology, and I'm big on continuity. Yes. And so in this match, when you have the correct pacing, again, it didn't overstay its welcome. I know that's a phrase we use on this show a I lot. W- I will say this, though, Ross. Welcome. Can I just say something? This was by far the longest match on SummerSlam's card. 
And it was by yes, far was. the longest match of the three that we'll be reviewing tonight, which I found very interesting. It was 26 and, minutes long. And what's funny is it didn't feel 26 minutes sure long. Sure didn't. Sure thing. didn't. Because there I are agree. plenty of matches where I can go back and say, wow, that felt like a 45-minute match. Undertaker and Shane McMahon at WrestleMania 32. Again, now, I was there, so it was kind of cool to see the different stuff that happened, and it is different live than on TV. Of course. I, I totally understand where you're coming from. But this being the match that was the longest of the three we're going to talk about, it didn't. it did not overstay its welcome. It was... I don't want to say it's perfect because there are problems in the match. But what I will tell you is if you're looking for a ladder match to kind of look back on, that's maybe not as Look, when people think ladder matches, they think of the TLC matches. They think of HBK versus Razor Ramon. And there are a couple of the matches they think of. I'm not saying they don't think of this one, but I think this one kind of gets lost in the shuffle because when most people think of rock triple H, they think of the time period I was talking about. They're thinking about late 99, 2000, like that stretch where those two had their big feud. And this is before both of them were really big time main event players, even though the Intercontinental title, as you as you spoke about earlier, being the stepping stone in how you build main event stars by having a strong middle card which is another problem that pro wrestling's having in general, not having a strong middle card, not having that deep bench where you can pull guys up from the mid card and make them believable as top guys. No, that's not a revival joke. But the point is that you just have to have that natural buildup over time of the fans believing that these guys can be main eventers instead of just saying, well, you're a main ev- or you're not a main eventer one day, and then you're a main eventer the next. And I've given plenty of praise to guys that have had that kind of leap of jump. But that was the difference back then. You could had, you could have that more natural build of these stars. And so I really appreciated the fact that they took the time to say, "Hey, The Rock and Triple H are really good, like really good. Really, they're not really Austin good. and Undertaker good. Yeah, but they're really good. And very soon." Those two guys are going to be right there with Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Undertaker. Absolutely and that's cool. what I appreciated the most mm-hmm. is that story was told of. Even though Triple H cheated his way to win, they still both felt like they were well on their path of being the next guys up, especially in a mid-card that needed it. I love everything that you said. I have a couple of closing points on this match, and then we can move over to the SmackDown main event of 1999. One... I think that if you watch this match, you have to pay attention to certain details. One, um, Triple H was absolutely the babyface because he was the babyface in this feud. One. And you can tell by the reaction of Madison Square Garden going nuts when he grabs the title. And they went nuts for this, as they should have. Um, Two, this was on the cusp of Rock's first real babyface run as The Rock. Not as Rocky Maivia, because obviously he came out as a babyface in 1996, and we all remember that, and there was the Die Rocky Die Chance, which people are disrespectful, but whatever. That I mean, he was truly a crappy babyface. Not Rock, but the character. It, it, it was crap. But this was during the time that Rock, he was becoming so appreciated by the fans that he was on the ver- he didn't turn ba- he turned babyface soon after this and then turned heel 
at Survivor Series after dead after the Deadly Games tournament. Deadly Games tournament, excuse me, um, obviously because they recreated the Montreal Screwjob, but with Mick Foley, and then Shawn Michaels was The Rock. Um, that I'm getting ahead of myself. My point is, if you take a look at this match, yes, there are multiple boos for The Rock and Mark Henry throughout this match, but then there is multiple markout moments for The Rock himself. And then the other thing that I really love about this match, and it's 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 seeing Triple H in a light that you rarely see him. Damn, did Triple H take some major bumps in this match. Like, he's taken uh, major yes. bumps throughout uh, the career, but he was he took body slams to the ladder. He was selling like crazy for the rock with the leg through the through the ladder and the chair shots. He took other than other than the rock getting color. Uh-huh. Uh, Triple H took every violent bump in this match. And, and Triple H took big moves, too. Triple H took the big rock bottom itself, which people popped for when Rock hit the rock bottom on him. Triple H took a people's elbow on top of the ladder. Triple H took a back body drop on the outside through a ladder. Like, oh, no. if you, if you want to watch how Triple H worked back in the day and how he got the crowd behind him, he was willing to take the bumps... And by the way, Rock was willing to take the bumps too. Let's let's not let's be real. Rock t- t- took a ladder to the face. That's how he got busted up in the op- in the to begin with. Triple H did a baseball slide, which is, by the way, I, I think it-, it was it was so well done. Again, what I loved about this ladder match, I was rewatching it, and then I was done with it, and I was like, freaking a man, that's a damn good ladder match. That's not a that's not a good one. It's a great ladder match, and it was because the Rock and Triple H kept it simplistic it was it was not three five foot ten guys weighing in at 205 which by the way no disrespect to those guys okay i'm five nine 208 on a good day excuse me five eight let me be real with you okay i'm sorry tdt audience i'm five eight five seven and three quarters but i round up that's not the point the point is i'm a quote unquote small guy compared to big human beings right these two guys one of them is 6'5", 270. The other one's 6'4", 255. These are what we like to call big hosses. All right? These aren't small dudes. And for them to be participating in a ladder match and giving you as great of a ladder match as they did speaks well to not only their style, how it, how it was portrayed in this match, but obviously the talent of... Essentially, two of the greatest to ever lay up a pair of wrestling boots in the industry. Not in the company, the industry, period, bar none. As we move on to the second match in our trio for our TDT's Classic Series of Triple H and The Rock, we move to our shortest match of the three, in mm-hmm. which we we decided that we wanted to have a match that was not Judgment Day 2000, so we were looking at a couple of the other matches that The Rock and Triple H had. And I remember sitting in my car, waiting in line for a day when Raising Cane's did not have 30 cars in the drive-thru, which apparently was one day in the last two weeks, mind you. I told Jorge, I was like, you know what? Didn't Triple H and The Rock main event the first SmackDown in 1999? Now let's clarify. Let us clarify really quickly. There Mm -hmm. There was two premiere episodes of SmackDown. One was the debut pilot, if you will, that happened um, 
that spring of 1999, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, um, I don't count that. No, I, I know. That's why I'm having. I, I'm wanting to clarify uh, yeah. because that was the pilot. That's what. That's what gave the WWF and UPN the go ahead to. Oh wow, we got that big of a rating. Okay, no, we need to have this show on this network now. And then right. it got the it got a received the green light and the first the premiere episode of that SmackDown, which is what we're discussing, happened the week after SummerSlam 1999, which was late August. So August 26th of 1999, that was two days before my 14th birthday, FYI. So for those of you that are counting back, I will be 35 in August. That's how old, that's how long ago this is. It kind of made me depressed that this was that long ago. But that being said, um, look, here's the thing. Uh, SmackDown was, in a way, directly because their competition, that would be WCW, decided they were going to do another show called Thunder. Now, Thunder did not take place until January of 98, and by the time SmackDown 99 was already up and running, WCW was pretty much dead. So I'm not going to say it was directly because the WCW had Thunder, but I have to tell you that the WWE probably looked at that and went, oh, we can get more content. Let's see if it'll draw a rating. And it did, and that's exactly the point you brought up with the April kind of, you know, pilot, soft open. The test pilot, yeah. yeah. I call it a soft open like they do in the restaurant business where mm-hmm. you have like a little test period and then you open later. It's the whole Ocean's Eleven joke where they have a soft open and then they have a hard open and then, oh, one day the Flamingo was closed and then it was open. There's there's that joke for you. So, <laughs> so. How the, on the hell did Ocean's though, Eleven make it onto this podcast? Is beyond me. Carry on. Well, because it's I, a great I, film. I, I will open. say this. I will say this. It's a great film. I don't care that the third movie gets crapped on. It's a great trilogy. You should watch it. That's unrelated to this podcast, of course. But there you go. So, in in August of '99, you you said it. Your boy Triple H had beaten. Uh, was it Mick Foley or Mankind? It was still Mankind. Mankind. Right? Okay. So, uh, your boy Triple H had beaten Mankind for his first WWF title. And so, of course, SmackDown, that was one of The Rock's catchphrases. He's going to lay the SmackDown or layeth the smacketh down or whatever you want to say when it comes to that. They named the show in part because one of those catchphrases that The Rock used was so catchy that they named it one of their shows. Let's be honest. So... It was from the Kemper Arena in Kansas City, Missouri. That's where the first episode did. The Rock came out. He cut a promo. So, yes, I just mentioned the promo because the match itself, I believe, is only 10 minutes. So, and Maybe by the 13 way, or 14 minutes, yeah. Yeah. So, it is still one of the better 10 to 12-minute matches that you'll see. I'm sure it's on a very short list of the best short matches in WWF history. Um, that's probably just me talking, but I'm sure you'll find it on a list. So essentially the rock comes out, I'm sorry, triple H comes out, cuts a promo saying I may be an a-hole because that's what people were chanting at him because he was a heel and he was hanging out with the McMahons and mankind was, you know, not that he was the people's champ, but he was cutting the same promos that the rock was cutting where he was walking down the people's aisle and the dozens and dozens of mankind fans and all that stuff. That was before the Rock and Sock connection, essentially, but that was the 
seeds up to that at that point. So he comes out, talks a bunch of trash because that was a Triple H promo back then. Not that he was as succinct as he would become, because if you notice, listening to that promo, still a little rough around the edges when it comes to promos. But that's okay, because that was the character. So then The Rock comes out, cuts his typical Rock promo. Their antics, it's tremendous. You should watch the promo. Eight hundred dollar shirt, six hundred dollar shoes. I believe it was eight hundred dollar shirt and six hundred dollar shoe, which means that would be twelve hundred dollars. Dear God. <laughs> he also threatened to recut the promo to start. He also did, he also did the turning the shoe sideways twice and sticking it up his candy ass twice, which I'll still never forget the promo uh, on the draft night where. Vince McMahon is like, there will be no more shoving anything up anybody's, quote, candy ass. I remember <laughs> that. It was so hilarious. So then, of course, after that, The Rock wants a title match. Uh, then, the at the time, the commissioner, Shawn Michaels, not, not dancing like an idiot, instead just walking out like an idiot, <laughs> because that's Shawn Michaels' entrances. It goes from walking around like an idiot, running around like an idiot, dancing like an idiot... And then there was that time where he came out in Jesus garb. And there was also the time where he wrestled with Jesus or with God as his tag team partner. That's another story. The point is, Shawn Michaels is very goofy. And he's pretty much always been very goofy. And he's going to stay goofy. So he comes out, he cuts his promo and says, I like that idea. Let's have a title match. It's the first night of SmackDown. But because it's a title match and it's the first SmackDown, I'm going to be the special guest referee. In the middle of that, they also set up Mankind and Shane McMahon because Shane McMahon had screwed Mankind. So, again, this is all great. This is all Attitude Era. It's all tremendous. You should watch the boat and everything leading up to it, even all the backstage stuff that they did kind of throughout that night because it was the main event of the show. We then get to the main event of the show. Again, if you, if you look at the time frame when you go back again, it's August 26, 1999. It's the first ever SmackDown on UPN. It's, of course, Jim Ross and the King. They, of course, were tremendous once again. Um, and again, JR being the perfect when it comes to not overselling the small moments, not underselling the big moments, and, and just having just the best timing when it came to moments. Right when a moment needed to crescendo, he was there. Right when it needed to be toned back down again, he was there. And of course, Lawler being Lawler because he's the crazy heel and he balanced JR pretty much perfectly throughout yeah, the whole thing. <laughs> Ross, you got to do, you gotta do uh, your, your king impression at least once. All right, <laughs> if I blow people's ears out, uh, I, I apologize. By God, he kicked his head off. <laughs> <laughs> JR, look. <laughs> so good. Terrible. Oh my Point God. is that. Uh, Bro, that was course, a terrible impression on my behalf. On my behalf, that was terrible. I'll 100%. So, your boy Triple H comes out. He's all confident. He's got the belt. He's got the backing. There's a little something weird going on because he, he comes out first. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, I believe Michaels comes out first. Yes, he did. He's a special guest referee. Then mm -hmm. Triple H comes out. This is the thing that I want you to take away from this match. Remember last week I told you, I forget which match I told you. Oh, there you go. It was the, it was the ladder match uh, where Edge won. It was the very first Money, Money in the Bank, Bank ladder match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said everything in that match had a purpose. Yes. Did I not? Okay. I realize this is the main event of a SmackDown. 
It's a 10-minute title match, and there's a screw job finish. Let me tell you something. Watch it from when both guys start to walk to actually from the from the opening promo to them walking to the ring to everything that happened in the match. Everything had a purpose. It wasn't, oh, I'm going to throw it in your face and make it overt. But they made it just knowledgeable enough for you to look back and go, oh, Triple H and Shawn Michaels were going to screw over The Rock, and you should have picked up on this cue when both of them were in the ring together. It's little things like that that I take away from this match. Of course, Rock comes out with all the flair. He's going to have a match. You know, he thinks he's better than Triple H, probably because that's that's, that's just who he is. They have their match. And again, it's not that the match is like this blow-away match. But what I will challenge you on is to watch this match and watch it from the perspective of everything has a purpose. Everything they're doing in the match is leading up to certain key moments of that night. Mm -hmm. From the promo, to walking to the ring, to the opening part of that match, to the little tiny things Michaels does during the match... To the, to the things that Triple H is doing to be this, you know, horrible, just schmarmy heel, to The Rock being the babyface everybody should be cheering for. And then The Rock's just there. He's just there. He's about to win the title, and everybody's going to explode. It's this big moment on SmackDown. Shawn Michaels super kicks him in the face. Triple H hits him with the pedigree. Triple H retains, and everybody boos. And yes, in case you were wondering, this is the match where Shawn Michaels came out in biker shorts and totally pissed everybody off doing it because that's what people did. When you looked good, you wore small, tight clothing and showed off your muscles. The football players in the early 90s, they wore jerseys that covered up you know, just right above their abs because they wanted to show off their abs. That was a thing back then. You showed off your body that way. And so AAA, I'm sorry, HBK being the heartbreak kid, show stealer, whatever, that was his character. So when he super kicked The Rock, you were like, oh, why did you do that to The Rock? We love The Rock. But then it was like, oh, but he's Triple H's buddy. And oh, we just hate them for this. Now we have to deal with heels in all the power positions, including the commissioner. See, most of the time when you have like a heel owner, you normally have a good guy commissioner. And that way they balance each other. Well, now it was like, oh, now we got to deal with the bad guys running the show and trying to screw over the baby faces every week. And then, of course, the baby faces eventually get their, give their comeuppance. But this match as a whole, I loved it. I loved, I loved the whole setup. I just loved the atmosphere with SmackDown. They wanted to give you a big moment on SmackDown. And what's the next best thing than having a big-time babyface win a belt on the first SmackDown? That same babyface being screwed over by the office because that's what Shawn Michaels represented. He was the commissioner. He represented the McMahons. He was Triple H's buddy. And the office screwed not only The Rock, but they screwed the fans and wanted you to tune in the next week, or I should say on Raw and then on and then on SmackDown, oh, we really want these guys to get their comeuppance. Loved it. Loved it. Probably rambling. Don't care. Love this match. Go watch it now. It, it, it is a darn good match. I will say that. 
Um, I, I do have a lot of love for this match. Um, I think you you said everything so eloquently that there's not much for me to go ahead and add. You know, you did have China at ringside come out with Triple H, um, and then she got. And this is this is where they try to throw you off, right, Ross? Where HBK throws China from ringside. And then Shano comes out and he's like, I'm Shano Mac, what are you doing? And then, you know, you know, HBK is trying to block Shane McMahon from getting in the ring and screwing over everything. And then, you know, Rock's trying to go ahead and pin Triple H and he can't because Shane McMahon has HBK's attention. It's just those, it's those small details. It's those small details that, first of all, you appreciate prime Shane McMahon. Let's not give... Let's not take away credit from Shane McMahon. Shane McMahon back in late 99, early 2000, 2001. I mean, he was a big part of World Wrestling Federation. And he, I think he earned his keep. Not that this is a Shane O'Mac episode, but I'd like to say that I think that Shane O'Mac earned his keep. Um, he already been the European champion by this point. Yes, I believe that is the case. Uh, was he the hardcore champion at any point? Maybe 2001. Okay, so that was before that, because I know I know that the Mean Street Posse were in a bunch of weird hardcore matches with Crash. Yes, that was er, that was later that ye- earlier that year, if I'm if okay. I'm not mistaken. Okay. But yeah, him Continue. and X Pac, him and X Pac had an European title match at WrestleMania 15, which is what led to Triple H turning on X Pac at WrestleMania and turning heel, and then joining the corporation right after that. Um, there you go. If, but yeah, what I'm just trying to say is um, this match is dope. This match was dope, and um, it was. This was prime, prime up in your face, telling you to smell what he's cooking, shoving things up candy asses, eight hundred dollars shirts, six hundred dollars shoes, two hundred dollars sunglasses, shirt open rock, right? Shirt. Let's yes. let's clarify. Shirt open rock, and you know the gravitas. Uh, and the swag that was Rock, and the way that he, I, I know he wasn't WWF champion at this moment in time, but the way that The Rock carried the WWF title and the Intercontinental title, um, he I, he carried it one of two ways. Either he just dragged it from the strap, either buckled or unbuckled, and he walked to the ring. It depended on if he was a, a babyface or a heel. If he was a heel, he would clutch it at his side while he cut his promos and it was also he also gold. folded it yeah yes it was it was folded and then clutched at his side and then he would grab the microphone and then the way that he would discuss he'd be pointing at you with said title and it was gold pure utter it's the nuances ladies and gentlemen that made the rock so fantastic and by the way triple oh, h did something things, yes. similar Back in the day, and it was also fantastic. I'm marking out. I need to calm down. Main event of SmackDown on August 26, 1999, with Shane with Shawn Michaels as a special guest. By the way, here's the other thing. You know, we I, I don't know how many times we've discussed how great of a super kick Shawn Michaels can deliver. Oh. How I mean, it was perfect. This was beyond a picture perfect Shawn Michaels super kick. You know, I actually have one beef with this match. And that beef is the fact that we never got a chance to see Shawn Michaels in The Rock. It pisses me off that we never got that match. We never got that. And I know that there's some stories of Rock and HBK didn't necessarily 
see eye to eye. Rock had a beef with him because of Shawn Michaels like speaking to his mother in a couple in a certain way back in the day. So Rock never dug him, and I, and I can understand that. I don't know if that's true or not, but apparently Rock never really wanted to work with Shawn Michaels. Is basically the point that I'm trying to get at, and that sucks because I can tell you. Had we seen Rock versus Shawn Michaels, I think it would have been fantastic. I really oh, no. do. That being said, watch this match because it is also gold, as was the first match that we just discussed 20 minutes ago. Now we move on to the third oh. and final match to the third and final match in this trilogy. And let's be real, yo, this match, like we've said that the ladder match was dope, and then we said that the 1999 SmackDown match was dope, and now we're going to tell you here right now, Newsflash, the Backlash 2000 main event, also dope. Ladies and gentlemen, right. super so, dope. So, so uh, Backlash 2000 taking place from the MCI Center in Washington, D.C. Yo, that was... crowd was hyped. Say again? That crowd was hyped. They were, they were ready to just... So, Washington, D.C., just as a little background, uh, Washington, D.C. pretty consistently had Starcade for WCW. Yeah, it was, was one their, of WCW's hubs. Uh, which was their version of WrestleMania, which took place in December. Uh, of course, uh, everybody remembers the fact that uh, Sting and Hogan from 97 uh, took place from that building. Um, as did so, uh, as did uh, Goldberg and Kevin Nash. The streak ended at the MCI Center at Starcade in 98, did it not? Yes. Yeah. So that was a big thing for wrestling. So to have Backlash in 2000, very quick aside, I promise I will not take long. I will remember two things from the Backlash 2000 show. The Kurt Angle-Big Show match, where Big Show came out dressed as Hulk Hogan. Kurt Angle's promo in which he, of course, cut a regular Three Eyes promo, then made fun of Marion Barry, who, by the way, did do cocaine while in office. Hilarious. That promo has aged like fine wine. I'll never forget that match. And then this bleeping main event. Let me tell you something. I make jokes all the time. Whether about, or not they stick is... <laughs> about, about your boy Triple H and his golden shovels and the reign of terror and I never need to see Triple H in a main event ever again, and he's probably taking over the company soon, and he's running NXT, and make make all the jokes you want. This, this is absolutely the apex, pinnacle, use whatever word you want to use. This is the best Triple H there is. First of all, the swagger. Second of all, Democracy. Third of all, this is pretty much close to his prime physical peak, I would say. Now, I don't mean size. I mean total package, not Lex Luger, of physique while still being... Uh, again, this was this was pre really bad injury Triple H. This correct? is true. Cause, uh, yes, um, that is correct because the quad okay. he tore nearly... 13 months later, it was the first quad okay. injury. Okay. Um, so 13 yeah. months was when he tore his quad. Okay. May 2001, so, yeah. So, to me, this is absolute best heel. I hate you being the champion. You're working with the boss. You're screwing the boss's daughter. You're best friends with the boss's son. 
like this is like you are the corporate family a-hole and he, by the way he was the actual it, blue blood at this point this was the yes. apex of hunter hearst helmsley but with with attitude and i have to tell you i know that time to play the game and motorhead and all that stuff is great let me tell you something when i heard what's up is this on in my time oh so good it's so good it's so good triple h theme out there i don't care what any other opinion my my favorite bit of that song my favorite bit of that song is i think you 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 just said it you know it's like is this on it's perfect and then there's that give me some of that triple h i'm like oh dude i'm so i'm so hyped i'm so hyped like i was like let's go so good when i think when i think triple h this is what i think of 99 through 2001 triple h is because this was this was the triple h you're like wow he is really good he really was the game but guess what Yes, we want to see him lose because he's a heel. Yeah. And he's the guy at your office that gets all the perks because he's the boss's son-in-law. And he's the guy that he you want to hate this guy, right? And, of course, on the other side of that, not to give too much credit one way and not the other, this is people's champion. Nobody's going to overstep me being the man the rock oh dude. this is this is the rock being interviewed backstage cutting his own promo doing whatever he wanted no pretty much no matter what the rock did everybody paid attention everybody knew he was basically cutting the same promo every week i'm gonna kick your ass take my shoe shine it sideways with some lubricant and shove it up your ass that was every rock promo was it not it was let me tell you let me tell you how many jobs rock had during this point he was a hotel manager. He was a navigator. Um, he was an expert in shoving things where they don't belong. Um, he was a great chef, apparently. Um, he really, he was really good at smacking people. Um, I mean, he, Roll Boulevard and Jabroni Drive. I mean, he was a construction worker, clearly, you know. Yeah. And um, he was also um, an eyebrow tweezer. Um, and obviously, he, he had the greatest sideburns. This side of Elvis. Like, this is no joke, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and obviously, he was a fashion guru. I mean, him and Dennis Rodman were like the fashionistas of the late 90s. This is no joke. If you're watching The Last Dance on ESPN, because God knows you got to have cable or Hulu Live and pay $50. Thanks a lot, ESPN Plus, for the biggest waste of money of my life. I move on. Uh, <laughs> the Rock, he, he was a busy man, Right? And then the fact of the the fact of the matter is you add the fact that he was also okay 2000 rock and this is no joke and I'm not trying to go ahead and say he was better or he was worse but at this moment in time this is when you said holy crap I don't know who's bigger stone cold or the rock you just no did no, no like this doubt. was the moment this was the moment where you were like okay this is this is weird. Like, do I? I, I may it, even make the argument. I think rock, ro- I, rock, ma- rock. At this moment in time, April two thousand, I want to say that I think 
Rock had eclipsed Stone Cold by just a tad. And 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 by the way, if you and we're we'll get into this. If you were at the MCI Center, good God, did you mark out hard when the glass broke, and then he came out to help the Rock. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but so I'll break it down. You know, you're welcome. MCI Center, packed to the gills, like 19,000 strong, um, probably filling it up way more than the Wizards could. Um, and this was their, this was almost a blow-off to their feud. Rock had just gotten screwed over at WrestleMania 2000. He was getting his rematch because he got the screw over and because Linda McMahon said, no, Rock got screwed, he's getting a rematch, and because Triple H is going to have Shano... At rings, or Shane McMahon, excuse me, was the special guest referee for this match. First of all, let's remember that. So Shane, Shane McMahon, heel peak Shane McMahon, involving himself deep into this rivalry. Vince McMahon was his special enforcer, and Stephanie was at ringside. She was the women's champion at this point. So the McMahon-Helmsley faction was running rampant throughout the WWF. Mick Foley was, never to, was nowhere to be found. Nobody was on the rock side except for Linda McMahon. Linda McMahon makes the stipulation of, tell you what, you're going to have all those people at ringside with you, Triple H. Rock's going to have the rattlesnake on his side. And people went baloney, but... The problem was Stone Cold was nowhere to be found. Stone Cold wouldn't show up. He wasn't there. You know what? He finally showed up one week before Backlash. And he was all over the arena, but people didn't know where he was. You know, the McMahons, Triple H, they were all freaking out. It's like, oh, where's Stone Cold? I can't see him. I don't know where he is. Is he he's not even here? Blah, blah, blah. And then at the end of that Raw is War, you know. Or, I'm sorry, not the Raw is War. It was SmackDown, actually. This was SmackDown. Um, he points to the monitor, and then Stone Cold is in a tractor. And then you, he looks at the camera, and he's like, I heard you guys have been looking for me. And this is the episode where the infamous explosion of the DX Express happens. He drops the big boulder, or the big thing, and he blows up the bus. With the comical explosion, yes. Yeah, it was fantastic. And now we, we, we fast forward into Backlash. And the funny thing was that Vince McMahon is the one who opens the match. And he's like, your car, your program says card is subject to change. And I hate to inform you, but Stone Cold Steve Austin is not here this evening. Blah, blah, blah. Right. So the crowd is already booing. And you already smell the screw over coming. Because every, everybody and their mother is going to be out there to screw over the rock in this match. And so, you know, the match gets going. And it was... I don't think it was actually stated, but this was, for all intents and purposes, a no disqualification, no countout match. This match was no holds barred. There were zero rules. Obviously, Shane McMahon was the special guest referee, so he was letting Triple H run rampant and do whatever he wanted, right? And then Vinnie Mac was just chilling at ringside along with Steph. I believe um, Shane was also not counting any pins that Rock attempted on Triple H. Essentially, that or it was extremely slow counts. Again, peak heel Shano, peak heel Triple H, peak heel plus 99 uh, Vince McMahon. So these yep. things are all happening. The crowd is like getting super antsy, but they're super supportive of The Rock, booing Triple H and everybody associated with him to absolute oblivion. Um, and then midway through the match, this is such a stupid spot, Ross. 
But it makes sense. But then it also proves to you Linda McMahon was never a great on-air character, nor should she be, and nor did you ever expect her to be. Wait, but, wait, that's that's near the end of the match when Linda comes out. Um. Yeah, yes, remember, but Stone Cold remember. hadn't come out yet. So this was like more. It was towards the end of the match, but not quite yet. Stone Cold hadn't appeared yet. Okay, so go ahead and tell your Linda spot because there's a lot to unpack in this. This match. is true. This is true. I am so sorry, but Linda comes out, you know, and so like Rock is starting to get the advantage. I think that at this point, okay, there's 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 three mega spots as I like to call them in this match. One. There's Linda coming out with I don't know who was with her at rings. Oh, it was Earl Hebner, Earl Hebner. actually. Earl Hebner, that's right. Thank you. Um, that's the first mega spot, um, and then it, this also you know Stephanie comes to confront her, and then she pushes Stephanie down, and then Stephanie goes down, and then she can't get back up. I'm like, yo, this is so stupid. That was the stupidest shove I've ever seen in my life, but I didn't care. The crowd is going crazy. I'm going crazy too because you're invested in what's going on. That's thing number one. Thing number two. The biggest overall match uh, match spot is the double rock bottom to Triple H and Shane McMahon from The Rock. By far, one of the coolest spots. It, again, we talk about The Rock and Triple H keeping things simple. Obviously, they're big dudes. You're not going to go ahead and see them jumping off the top rope. You're not going to go ahead and be seeing them, you know, be the ones that are taking the overall big bump unless they were involved in the, uh, in an Undertaker match or a Big Show match. Like, you know, multiple times Rock took chokeslams through the table because he was way smaller than Big Show, as is everybody else, right? right? But you never, you rarely saw that. And so when you saw Rock get on the announce table, you knew something big was about to happen. And rarely did you see him deliver a rock bottom through a table. But when he did, it was emphatic and it was super dope. The fact of the matter was, not only do you see the Rock rock bottom Triple H, but rock bottom Shane McMahon at the same time. So he's getting ready to rock bottom Triple H. Shane McMahon gets on the table. He's doing his like, no, 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 no. You're not doing this. This is not happening. You're going to get disqualified. And what is what does the rock do? He grabs him by his jersey. He hooks his arm too. And then double rock bottoms them simultaneously, one on top of the other through the announce table. And it is one of the coolest spots you will see in professional wrestling. Again, simplistic but it it was perfect because of the selling of The Rock, the selling of Triple H, and the great selling of Shane McMahon. Shane McMahon was out of the equation at this point. He, he because he uh, basically he was pretty much dead the rest of the match. Yes, because he just had a two hundred and fifty pounder land on him completely and destroyed through him. A table. Yeah, through a table, like he's dead. And the force of The Rock. And yes. the force of The Rock. Yes, and then you know the crowd is going nuts. Um, and then basically this is why Earl Hebner was at ringside. And then, you know, Vince got involved and this is when he started attacking the rock. Triple H had gotten back up and Patterson and Briscoe, Patterson Briscoe came out. Thank you. I was like, DX didn't come out. It was Patterson and Briscoe that came out. And you also came out in ref shirts, by the way. Exactly. They were supposed to be special enforcers for this match as well. They started attacking the rock. This is prime. This is prime Patterson and Briscoe as the stooges coming out to uh, real American. Yes. That that era. That is correct. And so, you know, people are, they're seeing triple H about the win. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the I'm most shattered. the glass shatters and you knew oh sweet god this is this is beautiful like it was just a beautiful moment prime 
babyface Stone Cold Steve Austin just mowing everyone down as best as he can. You know, he's coming in, chair shots galore to Triple H. Chair shots galore to, to Briscoe and to Patterson. Um, chair shot chair shot to Vince straight to the head. And then what happens? Triple H comes in one more time. Massive chair shot to the head to Triple H. And then Rock finally gets the assistance that he needs. Rock bottom. Probably the... I, I've said this on a multitude of occasions... One of the best rock bottom, uh, one of the best rock bottoms he's ever delivered. One of the best people el- elbows he's ever delivered. And I really want to say this, and I want to be careful with how I say this. Potentially one of the biggest pops in the history of pops. When the Rock, when Earl Hebner counted to three. By the way, that was the slowest three count Earl Hebner has ever done in his life. Like it was. It was done on purpose too. I know, I know. Just can you explain why? So, if memory serves me correctly, Earl Hebner had been fired by, was it Stephanie and Triple H had fired him? Yes, I think. That was during the, I'm trying to remember if they fired him. Oh, isn't it because there's something going on with Mankind, wasn't wasn't there? No, wasn't it Jericho? Did Jericho beat Triple H for the world title? Jericho had, had had, had beaten Triple H and there was a fast count. Yes. And then they convinced him to give the title back to him, and then they, they fired, fired him. him. And then I Linda McMahon brought him in for match. that match. Yes. 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 Okay, I couldn't. So, I was trying to remember. I didn't want. So Triple H kept the title at WrestleMania 2000, lost it for one week, got it back, and then lost it to The Rock at Backlash that 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 later on that month. My uh, point so being, let me just make sure my timeline is right. Yeah. Well, my point being, as you look that up, the pop that, that The was, Rock got... That was April 17th of 2000. Makes sense because Backlash happened April 30th. That so, makes sense. Yes. Two weeks prior. So Hebner had been fired two weeks prior, and then Linda hired him back. Because remember, there was there was that ongoing storyline with the McMahons of, oh, Vince owned the company, then Shane owned the company, then Vince and Shane owned the company, then they all owned equal shares. It was weird. And then, of course... That WrestleMania 2000 where it was a McMahon in every corner. Mm-hmm. Look, this match, I know the J-Man just went through a lot of it, and there was a lot to unpack. This match had a big fight feel, which is exactly what you want it to be. It had all the elements that are the best parts of wrestling and the goofiest parts of wrestling, which is awesome. Patterson and, and Briscoe. Anything away from that. <laughs> Love Patterson and Briscoe. Yep. Come on. By the way... Uh, I have an idea for another one of these about just either, um, either. Well, basically, the idea I had was like the most strange ever pay per view events that actually happened. One of them involved Patterson and Briscoe in a match together. Is this another in your house? Oh, no. That would be the evening gown hardcore match they had. Oh, okay. Sorry. Matches. I thought you said pay per views. I apologize. Carry on. No. So, um, Patterson and Briscoe, again, everybody played their role. Stone Cold came out like a house of fire. He said, "All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna even the playing field," which is exactly what he did. The Rock had been beaten up, and he evened the playing field. He gave the Rock all the assistance he needed in the minute to two minutes he was out there. He came out. The Rock did his move, and yes, getting to that roundabout initial question you just asked, which is why the count had to be slow. 
First of all, Hebner had fast counted two weeks earlier. So this time it was, okay, I'm going to do a deliberately slow, normal count of one, two, three. Not Vince McMahon, one, two, three. Not that slow. But Hebner wanted to make sure that this one was going to stick because he knew if there was any question, they could go back and be like, well, Hebner screwed us two weeks ago. You just rehired him, and he screwed me again. This time, it was slow. It was deliberate. It gave The Rock to basically pin Triple H for essentially a four count. So that way, The Rock was the champion. The hero had 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 come out triumphant. Evil had been thwarted. Evil was getting their comeuppance. Their bus had blown up. All their plans had gone awry. Triple H, the McMahon-Helmsley faction, had been defeated on this night even though we all knew the next night on Raw, they were just going to come out, cut a promo, and try and screw The Rock again, because that's wrestling. The babyface wins, the heel immediately tries to get him right back. Yep. Or the heel wins, and the babyface is like, oh, I got screwed, I want another match. That's why we love wrestling. That's yes. why the Backlash 2000 main event will go down. As, again, I'm not trying to underplay this, but for that era, it was a typical big fight feel that you got out of a main event of a pay-per-view for World Wrestling Federation. That is correct. That was what you got. Yes. And then what 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 I loved about this match is at the end, Stone Cold and Rock, beers, and then they cheered to the title. Ah, if you were a big baby face mark for Stone Cold and the Rock, this was you getting the like just uh, the biggest mark out of your life. You were like, oh my God, fangirling hard. I know I did. Um, and it was just so cool. Like this, this match happened 20 years yesterday, guys. Like that's just you can't call it, man. You can't call it. They can't. It can't be cooler than what it, what we just discussed. Um, and you know, then you of course get the um, the Judgment Day match four weeks later, and we discussed it at the beginning of this show. Um, you know what's one of my favorite bits and pieces of this entire storyline? Um, is the fact that Stone Cold, that, excuse me, not Stone Cold, The Rock, Triple H and The Rock never, ever not let it out, on, left it all on the line. They always left it all out there. Every single time they were in the ring together, it was incredible. Whether it was a match, whether it was a promo. One of my favorite segments of The Rock and, uh, of the Rock and Triple H was the night after Judgment Day. I don't know if you remember this. Um, I, I think the main event segment um, was not a match, but it was a promo where Undertaker came out to help so, uh, The Rock again because DX was ganging up on him and it was just Triple H and The Rock in the ring together and they were you know, battling out like punches, punches, kicks, whatever all that good stuff there was a table that comes into play and The Rock is battling with his $800 shirt, mind you Okay, and if I'm not mistaken not only does he rock bottom Triple H still rocking the shirt I'm pretty sure, doesn't he rock bottom him through the table and then his sunglasses are still on his face? I believe you may be right. It's, it's classic. It's classic rock. This is, what, this is why we love The Rock, because Rock could whip your ass and then still have a nice shirt on and his sunglasses never fall off his face. It's not as good as... Uh... The, the British Bulldog. His elbow he did with the British Bulldog. With the slide. Instead of throwing an elbow pad, he threw his sunglasses, and then he slid with his loafers and gave him the... So uh, good, the, man. Uh, it's elbow. so after, good. After the Bulldog had uh, had your boy Triple H down for a two count, and he goes, one, 
two. It doesn't, doesn't matter, matter if, if the Rock has step three. three. It's so great. It's so fantastic. Well, I'm sorry that we're marking out. You're probably going to be listening to this show and be like, wow, they really got hyped for this episode. It's it's because. It's because. No, no, look. look there's I'll a just, reason for it. I'll just sum this up, okay? True story. Jorge and I both love The Rock. He is both a part of our Mount Rushmore's. He's one of the greatest of all time. He helped completely define an entire era of wrestling. Uh, of course, it helps that he is one of, if not the biggest superstar in Hollywood. The guy is amazing. Everything he touches is gold. And we appreciate the fact that when he was a full-time pro wrestler, there were very few that were better. And then, of course, again, Jorge, full disclosure, is a much bigger Triple H fan than I am. But I can at least appreciate the time period where Triple H this version of Triple H was the was guy. The best. He was the guy. He was the top heel in pro wrestling. Like in the year in late 1999 through all of 2000, there was not a single man that was a wrestler. That was a wrestler, mind you, that was a better heel than Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Hulk Hogan was not a better heel at this point. Okay, Kevin Nash and the Outsiders and the NWO were not better than Triple H at this point. Jeff Jarrett was damn sure not better than Triple H at this point. And I'm not trying to go ahead and disrespect those guys. What I'm trying to say is that I truly, truly mean it and I'm not being a mark. Triple H was the apex of professional wrestling heels at this moment in time. In 2000, there's a reason Triple H got the victory at WrestleMania 2000. Not only because he earned it on the outside, but from an in-ring standpoint, people hated this man, detested him, and it was awesome. And by the way, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but that's exactly the reason why there was a massive pop when he came out to what looked like to help The Rock out the night after WrestleMania 17 in 2001, and then he went heel and beat the crap out of The Rock, and then teamed up with Vince McMahon and Stone Cold Steve Austin to make the two-man power trip. That was exactly how good this dude was. All right? Triple H, one of the goats. The Rock, one of the goats. Stone Cold freaking Steve Austin, the goat. The number one goat in the history of goats. Like, he wasn't even a goat. You know what, Ross? Let me tell you something. Stone Cold Steve Austin, he's not a goat. He's a freaking ram. Okay? Okay. Okay. There are, there, there, there are plenty of people I would consider goats. That's why I hate the argument that there's one. I know. So, true, true. I mean, for goodness sake, there's a guy that's still wrestling today for another company that at one time, on his trunks, had the word G-O-A-T written on his ass. And there's a reason for it, because he he's one of them. Damn it, he's one of them. We're talking about Chris Jericho. I love Chris Jericho. We all do. Chris Jericho eventually, loves Chris Jericho. Eventually, Chris Jericho is going to make one of these lists. I know he was part of the ladder matches uh, list that we had, uh, but Chris Jericho is going to make a list at some point on this show. Uh, when We've it discussed it, whether or not it's versus The Rock. He's got plenty of great matches versus The Rock. He's got fantastic matches against Triple There's some matches he's got with Triple H that people don't remember that are underrated gems. Yes. 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 It's time for another show. It is time for our rankings of the classic series of the series of matches that we picked. So, essentially, I normally let Jorge go first. So, if he wants me to go first, I will allow him to do so. But essentially, the three matches that we went over were the 
uh, Intercontinental title ladder match from SummerSlam 1998. The World Wrestling Federation title match on the August 26th, 1999 debut of SmackDown on UPN and the Backlash 2000 main event between the champion Triple H and The Rock for the World Wrestling Federation Championship. So, Boss Ross, I'll let you go first. I'll let let you go first. first? Yes, sir. I'm a kind, gentle soul. If we were incorporating everything that went with the match, the lead up and everything else... The SmackDown main event would be much higher on this list. However, if I'm just isolating the match and not the lead-up and the promo, I will say that definitively the SmackDown main event, as much as I love it, as much as it set up and encompassed everything that was going on during that time period and the main players involved, if you're making me go up against these two other matches, I'm putting it at number three. The promo's great. You should go back and watch that match and actually the first SmackDown just to see how different of a feel SmackDown was back in 1999 when it was new and it was still that thing where they were trying to make it as important and must-see television as Raw was at the time, which there were weeks where it was. Very much Not trying to get into a diatribe about Raw and SmackDown and importance and rosters and all that stuff. Back then, 1999, they said, we have two shows, we have enough talent to pull off two shows, and this is a great way to do it. So if you're making me pick the SmackDown main event for the WWF title between Triple H and The Rock on August 26th, 1999, SmackDown is number three on my list. Um, and by the way, the coolness of SmackDown uh, back in the day is then they switched over to Michael Cole and King calling SmackDown. And by the way, you know, prime Michael Cole, I've always said, was Ruthless Aguirre-Shanera with, uh, with Taz. I think that was his prime. I think that was when he was at his best, at his peak. He wasn't over-rehearsing his lines and things of that nature. He was just calling great matches. Um, but I think that you could make Attitude Era Michael Cole with with um, Jerry the King Lawler also a really great pairing. Um, for those of you who don't remember, Michael Cole basically called all of WrestleMania 15 and Jim Ross came in for the main event and Michael Cole gave up the main event spot for him, which is... Something you don't you, you don't realize, but uh, very cool. Michael Cole has always had the most admirable of respects for Jim Ross. I, I, I think that gets lost in the shuffle about Michael Cole, and I just want to go ahead and say that. Um, my number three, Rastafarian, is the same match you just stated. Um, it's great. It's um, when you look at the greatest matches in the history of SmackDown. This absolutely is in the top five, and it's not even close. Um, I don't know if it's the best SmackDown match ever seen. I think that there's a couple of other matches that myself and maybe some others, even yourself, might say, "Mm, it doesn't quite make it to the number one spot, but it's definitely in the top five, maybe even the top three, no problem. Like, this match is truly special. Um, It was truly a must-see attraction. It was truly... Warrant it truly warranted the number that SmackDown got. I think SmackDown maybe got like five or about five and a half some odd million viewers on a Thursday night back in 1999. And you have to remember the shows that were on on Thursday nights back in the day that that SmackDown was competing with. You know, Friends was on on Thursday nights. Um, Everybody Loves Raymond was on on Thursday nights on CBS. Like these were heavy hitter historic television programs that SmackDown had to compete with back in the day. And it was carrying its weight around. For you to get 5 million viewers and chunk that off of Friends and chunk that off of Everybody Loves Raymond, 
and and Frazier, I think, was on Thursday nights as well. Like, I, I, this is weird for me to discuss, but I just I'm, I'm talking about how big of a moment this was for the WWF and for, it, for the Rock and Triple H doing this. It was a big freaking deal. It was a great freaking match. It was short. It was sweet, but they had two better matches. Um, it is one of the best ten to twelve minute matches you will see in the World Wrestling Federation. It's, 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 it's just overall, not, not just the WWF, WWE's history overall. This is smack dab right in the middle, just like Brock Lesnar Goldberg at WrestleMania 33. It is an important addition to personify the rivalry and feud that was Triple H and The Rock. Plus, it gave us an excuse not to put Judgment Day 2000 on here. So there you go. Full disclosure. Um, I was fixing to change my mind about the order here between the last two matches, and I watched them again for the first time in quite some time. And I have to tell you, my number two is the ladder match from SummerSlam of 1998, and there's a very, there's a very easy reason why. Um, as much as I appreciate how different of a ladder match this was and how slow, methodical, and the great pacing that went back and forth and showing the development of the mid-card levels of The Rock and Triple H as characters and how they were ascending to the top of their profession, um, it does not feel... Even though it may be the best match, that that is still in question with me. But you're, but if you're asking me, the whole package, everything that goes along with everything, including the match, I'm not saying it's far and away the best match. What I'm saying is it may be the best match of the three. But if you're making me encompass everything that goes into a match, whether it's the physical aspect of it, the emotional aspect of it, the mental aspect of it, the psychological aspect, the philosophical aspect, I could go on and on. As great as the ladder match is, there are some holes in it. Um, it was it was great to see that there were only two ladders used in the match. It was great to see that it told the story of these two guys being equals. It told the story of they were giving their body on the line for not the top belt, but at the time, and I know this is another cliche, the working man's belt. This was still prime when the Intercontinental title was treated as a big flipping deal. And you could tell that these two guys, even though they weren't wrestling for the WWF title, these two guys were really, really good. And you could really get behind their work. Um, and then, of course, it's at MSG. You get the big match feel out of it. You take away the fact that most of the rest of that pay-per-view wasn't that great. The live band snafu, that all being said, that has nothing to do with the match. But if you're asking me to pick between the latter match in 98 and the main event of Backlash 2000, I can't put the latter match above Backlash 2000, and I'll get into my reasoning when I pick the fact that Backlash 2000 is my number one match in this feud. So I will say... The Intercontinental title ladder match from SummerSlam 1998 between The Rock and Triple H is number two on my list. So I watched, I had the pleasure and privilege of watching the uh, SummerSlam 98 match a few hours ago. Um, that was the last match that I watched. The first one was the Backlash 2000, so I went back in order. 2000, 99, 98. Um, and 
I watched I was watching that match today and I was like by golly or how, how what, what what what's hey howdy hey Roswell style I was boy, like howdy. boy howdy <laughs> they, these two men these two young studs like I think the word they really went the the phrase they really went for it all gets thrown around way too much they really went for it all they Triple H and The Rock talked backstage and said, I want to get to that next level, and I know you want to get to the next level. What do we need to do to get to the next level? We have to outdo Stone Cold and The Undertaker, and we have to outdo them by a large number. And they they did. I haven't I, I didn't rewatch the Undertaker Stone Cold main event. Um I'll probably watch it eventually. But I have a strong suspicion that I'm right in saying that this is easily the best match of SummerSlam 1998. Uh, and for good reason. Um, and I was like re-watching it. I was like, man, oh man, is this a better overall quality match than their 2000 match? And then I was going over the Backlash 2000 match with you t- five to ten minutes ago. And then I remembered, oh, I really love the Backlash 2000 match and everything that encompassed it. So I'm going SummerSlam 98 as my number two. The overall quality of the match, the 26 minutes and one second of SummerSlam 1998 involving The Rock and Triple H. The match... Is the match quality is better than the 2000 match? The overall everything, you know, with the outside interference of of Briscoe and Patterson and Shano and 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 Stephanie and Linda and Vince and Stone Cold, overall makes it just that much more special than the SummerSlam '98 by like a smidge. By a smidge. So I'm going SummerSlam ladder match 1998 for the IC title as my number two. Barely. Which means we are both picking the Backlash 2000 main event as our number one in this series. I'm actually not surprised. I remember when we were talking about these matches, I said, I don't remember the 98 ladder match as much as the Backlash 2000 match. But I also don't remember the Backlash 2000 match as much as I had remembered. Right. So I was glad that... And by the way, again, I'm not taking anything away from the SmackDown main event. It's a great... It's... It's it a dope. Match. Watch them all. Yes. But the Backlash 2000 puts it over the top for a lot of different reasons. Yes. This is prime storytelling. Oh, yeah. It is prime big fight feel. With this was Vince packages. McMahon. Uh-huh. Go, ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say this was Vince McMahon at the peak of his powers. And I'm not talking about Vince McMahon, the character. I'm talking about Vince McMahon, the storyteller. This was. Well, I'll even say. I'll even say this is uh, close to peak Vince McMahon. Oh no, no, no it's just, the character. It most well. certainly is. I'm, but that's not what I'm referring to. I'm genuinely talking about in the back with the headset with his writers. Vince Russo oh, yeah. had al- already left to World Championship Wrestling, I think, in the year 2000, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, uh, he, he left in '99. He came actually. over in '99. Yeah. Correct. So he. It was. This was. This was basically that time frame of like, Vinny Vince Russo was smart and knew his stuff but vince was always the brainchild of it and 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 this was finally and, and you know we watch we rewatch everything 20 years later and after everything we know i think vince rosso got too much credit he got way too much credit and it was vince mcmahon that was really the brain behind everything 
Well, let's be honest. It was also uh, Pat Patterson and yes, and, uh, and uh, Mr. Bruce Pritchard. Yes, also there. Absolutely. So, so backlash two thousand. That's apparently a car horn went off and is still going off, and I apologize. You can't it's hear it outside. over here. You can't hear it. Well, that's good. I can hear it over here. I want to go probably fight somebody in the parking lot after this. The point is I'm that... I'm recording a podcast, bro. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> it's my time. It's my time. <laughs> so, here, again, the storytelling, the big fight feel, the culmination of the feud, the My Time Triple H music, The Rock coming out being the guy... In my opinion, he'd already eclipsed Stone Cold Steve Austin at this point as being the most over person in wrestling by this point. That's my opinion. I'm going to stick to it. This had all the feels of essentially still that main time frame of when wrestling was still one of the biggest things in, uh, in, in, in TV, in culture, in our society. And it just, it just capped off with the ultimate good versus evil storyline. Yep. The odds are stacked against the babyface. The babyface has one friend and his one friend is still not there until the very end. And, the, and the by the way, his not only is the odds. not only is the best friend is not only is the friend not there, the friend is your arch enemy. On top yes. of that, because not you know, we can talk about, you know, Stone Cold or excuse me, Triple H and The Rock, they were massively feuding and they were arch rivals, but remember, Stone Cold and The Rock were had been at odds for forever and a day at this point. They had a massive rivalry in middle of 1999, and it it all encapsulated in Stone Cold beating The Rock, and then The Rock turned face because the corporation turned on him. And they, but they never viewed were viewed eye to eye. They the characters never liked each other, and you could see that when Stone Cold Steve Austin came back in late 2000. And and obviously it led into WrestleMania X7 and all that good stuff. So that's what was so great about it. It was like the only guy that The Rock could trust was the guy that kept on saying DTA. Because Stone Cold's, Stone Cold's motto at this time was DTA. Trust Don't trust anybody. Exactly. And so it was so great. And by the way, my one of my you you even had to, on top of the. Backlash 2000, everything encompassing it, was the opening promo of The Rock the next night on Raw is War, where he's talking to the Baltimore crowd, and he's like, The Rock went in there, and somebody else said that they will that they were going to hold their end of the bargain, and they did. And Stone Cold, I know you're back in Texas, beer in one hand, beer in the other, and The Rock, all he has to say is, oh, hell yeah. That's, that's paraphrasing. Obviously, that's not quote, that's not, that's not per word. But it was beautifully awesome. And I was like, oh, this is so beautiful. <laughs> Storytelling perfection. It was. That, it was so good. That is that is what the Backlash 2000 main event was. Storytelling perfection. And it's why... The year 2000 was storytelling perfection. 2000 is uh, known as a very good year for particularly the WWF. Um, wrestling as a whole for the most part, was probably on its downturn at that point. Well, yeah, this was because this was the WWF really putting their foot on the throat of WCW at this moment in time. Because how many times have you said on our pod, on our fine podcast, WCW was uh, nobody cared, they stopped throwing money at it, where at least WCW 99, they were throwing, at them at, they were throwing money at it and they couldn't find the fix. 2000, no, they were so, just like, there is no fix. 
So, so here's how I categorize it. Um, WCW 1999, they were spending money and they still thought that they were relevant. By WCW 2000, they just said, yep, we're just going to try anything and everything and we just don't care. We're going to see what sticks. At that point, it was already stuck because of the AOL Time Warner merger. And basically, as uh, a lot of people, including uh, Eric Bischoff himself, have said that um, they didn't want wrestling on their TV. No matter what rating it was doing, they wanted to be done with it, which is why Bischoff tried to buy the company from them and start his own company. And then when that fell through, the WWF bought them and uh, TNT, or I should say Turner, AOL Time Warner, the merger, got what they wanted, which was wrestling off their TV. So that is, that is, I mean, there, I, I realize I'm oversimplifying it, but I think it gets oversimplified the other way as well as to some of the decisions that were made. So Backlash 2000, do you have any more thoughts before we end our show tonight? Other than the fact that you need to watch all three of these matches, just like we recommended watching all three of the other ladder matches from last week, and you need to watch the three main AJ Styles and John Cena matches. I will say this, Ross. I'll, I'll, I'll say this before we go ahead and say our goodbyes and tell you what's coming up in the next couple of episodes here. I'm maybe it's because I'm in no I'm not romanticizing it Ross I'm just gonna be honest with you I had more fun watching the SummerSlam 1998 ladder match than I did some of the other money in the bank ladder matches from last week and I know that sounds crazy because I thought that the ladder matches that we watched last week were fantastic but I genuinely had more fun watching this match than I did the other three and I'm not sure if I'm trying to say oh this match is better than the other ones but I do have to tell you that when all is said and done, right now, no, screw all is said and done. I think that we, we as a wrestling community, need to relook at The Rock versus Triple H at SummerSlam in 1998, their ladder match for the IC title, and we have to make sure to give it its due, because no I think because I don't think that a lot of people remember how genuinely great this match is. No doubt. Absolutely, no doubt. Again. I said it before, it's a match that does not get talked in enough about when it comes to the better ladder matches uh, in not only the, the WWF, but in wrestling in general. Um, because it was on a mostly forgettable pay-per-view, and there are been there have been other ladder matches that have been more romanticized or more well thought of. Right. And not to uh, mention 1998 and other things like that. Yeah, and so. 1998 was still when WWF and WCW were like neck and neck right there was still um, so that late yes. yes so you know people may have been watching wcw because there was other cool things i mean the streak was happening with goldberg so people were probably paying attention more to goldberg and people were paying more attention to the nwo them running rough shot over everybody then they were paying attention to what was going on in the wwf even though there was great things going on in the wwf so it was like flip-flopping it was like one week Nitro was over, was up on Raw's War. The next week Raw's War was up on Nitro. So it there may have been one of those. still a feeling that WCW still at that point could have won the war. Yes. And so I think that's the reason why this match gets underlooked. That being said, next week, ladies and gentlemen, and we appreciate you listening to us on this fine evening, hot evening. We've got we've had some hot days out here in the valley. Oh, um, it's getting miserable. It, it Money is. in the Bank preview show is next week. That is correct. And then the week after that, we will do our Money in the Bank review show. And then we have a special guest coming on with us in about three week time. Three weeks time. Uh, somebody who Ross and I have been wanting to get on this show for a long time. 
And Nicole. good old, uh, if anybody is from Phoenix and you are into radio, uh, Rico on your radio um, is like one of like the coolest, chillest, hardest working dudes in professional radio today. Um, I've had the pleasure of meeting him and he's become a good friend. Ross has the pleasure of working with him and he's a good friend and he's a great and huge supporter of our podcast. And he's also a, a, a deep down and old school professional wrestling fan. And he has agreed to come on our program and we're looking forward to having him in a few weeks time. And, uh, we're working on some stuff, maybe a little bit of a look back to potentially Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Bret Hart. And then, uh, a week after that. My brother Ross gets a chance to go ahead and pick what he would like to discuss on Classic Series, and I'm so looking forward to that. Well, now, full disclosure again, it's not that Jorge has picked our last three. It's just he's come up with some ideas, and I've kind of helped him fine-tune the ideas as well. So it's not like Jorge just comes up with an idea, and I just am reactionary to it. It's a matter of he throws out some ideas, we fine-tune it. And uh, we go from there. But yes, I've I've been allowed to uh, to uh, pick a topic that. here on this show. So yes, You're such a Money dick. in the Don't Bank say that. <laughs> uh, preview and prediction show next week. Yes, following week Money in the Bank review show, mm-hmm. and then uh, my buddy Rico, who's a huge wrestling fan, he works uh, for a uh, radio station up here in Phoenix, El Patron. I'm sure we'll let him talk a little bit about what he does. He is being a guy. He is. Uh, coming out to our show to talk some wrestling, but when we have guests, we let them talk about uh, stuff that they do. I know he's been big into the dark side of wrestling. Stuff. Yeah, he I has. I'm sure that that'll be brought up. That. Yeah, he's uh, he's the one that got you and I to watch the uh, Chris Benoit documentary that they did on him, which was absolutely yes. superb. Superb. Yes. Um, yeah, go ahead so and check that out. On in about three weeks. That is correct. Yeah. By the way, just let me just say this now. Go on to Vice's YouTube channel because they post – the episodes about three days after it drops on the Vice TV channel, which is really hard to get. You have to have not a premium package on cable, but you have to have like one of the higher up cable packages to get that channel. It's a very small TV channel, but damn, are they doing some good stuff. Um, And it's great because they post their stuff onto YouTube after it airs a few days afterwards. And it's, it's really superb. They did Benoit. They did, um, uh, uh, what's his name? New Jack. Why am I forgetting his name? Jack? Yeah, it, it is him. Um, and then they just did um, Jimmy Snooker. They just did Jim, Jimmy Snooker a week ago. They did a two-parter for him, and it's just fascinating. And it's superb, and I highly recommend you guys watching it. That being said, uh, Rastafarian, is there anything else you'd like to go ahead and tell the fine people of this uh, great listening adventure that we do? Yes, you can find this show along with our other 104 episodes, as this is 105. The last of this episode and the two previous ones are part of the TDT's Classic Series. But go back and check us out for our other 104 episodes, including this one, uh, at a lot of fine areas, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Stitcher, Radio Public, CastBox, Pocket Casts, Anchor. He's getting so good every single week, guys. Like, if you only uh, knew how proud I am, I was... You can also check us out on the Double Turn Podcast on Instagram. The homie J-Man really slaying the game over there. Really do appreciate it. We're going to do some more stuff on Instagram. It's just our lives have been kind of crazy with everything that's been going on. This is uh, another show in which we are doing it uh, remotely. So uh, that is why uh, we are sounding this way. I'm sure uh, I'm sure I sound like uh, a computer at times. Uh, but that is the way and the reality of what's going on. You can also find uh, our personal Instagram pages, the one and only J-Man19, 
Ross the Real Boss 85. You can also find me on Twitter, Boss Ross TDT, for some live tweeting during pay per views. Again, for the third time, next week's show, Money in the Bank 2020 preview and prediction show from Stanford, Connecticut, at the WWE headquarters. See, I'm uh, telling you, it's going to be fascinating next, uh, the, the, next week. The pay per view is going to be fascinating. It's true. Until then, for the J Man, I'm Boss Ross, and we will catch you. On the flip side. It's gonna be May.